Hi, my name is Martin Purnell, and welcome to Off Grid Christianity, a weekly podcast for those who go or don't go to church, and for those that are disillusioned. This podcast series is to encourage fire conversation and not necessarily change your mind prior to listening. You can contact us as well by email, ogc at accessradio.biz. Check out our Facebook page, Off Grid Christianity, and we have our own website, offgridchristianity.co.uk. So please enjoy today's guest. He's the author of When Jesus Met Hippies, The Story and Legacy of the Jesus People Movement in the UK. He has a degree in applied theology and is a Bible teacher and a communicator and was pastor from August 2000. He's also a mentor of young leaders and he says, My passion is to pass on the benefit of 45 years of Christian leadership to the next generation in an appropriate way. Whilst at Leeds University all those years ago, he saw a band called Yes, that in a roundabout way must have helped him collect wondrous stories for his recently released book, When Jesus Met Hippies. Is he a gentle giant? Is he into other prog rock bands? What exactly is the story of the UK's history with hippies? What exactly is a hippie? Cancer battles, how did he cope? Non-Hodgkin's disease and lymphoma in 2016. And what is Lonesome Stone? Have we got time the next hour to answer all those questions? Well, we better find out. It gives me great pleasure today to welcome to this podcast, and that is Andrew Whitman. Andy, thank you so much for joining us today. So many questions. Where are we speaking thank to you, you from, good sir? Uh, we are speaking from, from Bournemouth on the, mm, is it sunny south coast? Maybe it's a bit dismal, but we're speaking from the amazing Bournemouth with yes. its wonderful beaches and new forests, etc. Uh, last time I was in Bournemouth, I think, was to see Gary Moore at the Bournemouth Exhibition Centre. Excellent, excellent. I've actually seen Dylan twice in Bournemouth, which has been wonderful. Wow. Interesting experience, that. There you go. Things you can do in Bournemouth. Absolutely. And go surfing in the winter, because I saw people surfing as well. Absolutely. Sir, are you ready then? Here we go. Five questions. Question number one. If you could invite anybody from history for an evening meal, alive or dead, so that you could ask some questions... Who would it be? Well, it might not surprise you that the answer probably would be John Anderson. Ah. Whether I would get an audience with John Anderson or not, I don't know. I mean, personally speaking, without without undue name dropping here, his brother Tony, his older brother Tony, is actually a Christian pastor. He's a retired Elim pastor on the Isle of Wight, and he's one of my buddies. So... I still haven't met John. Well, I have met John, but I haven't interviewed him. I would love to do that for the simple reason he intrigues me. I mean, including spiritually. Yeah. He has a rather rather kind of quirky, new agey uh, allegiance come alignment uh, spiritually to this woman guru. So I think we'd have some very interesting conversation. <laughs> I think you would. And for those that are going, I've heard of that name. Who is he? Well, John Anderson was the lead singer, still is sort of thing, if they ever get back together again, yes. with yes. Absolutely so, yeah. So it would be John John Anderson. I think he also was a ball boy at Accrington Stanley Football Club as well, growing up. He was, and he still supports Accrington Stanley, actually. Oh, really? Good for him. He does still support them. If I had a second string to the bow, by the way, just yeah. quickly, I would like to spend an evening with Simon Reeve, the famous travel writer, TV person. Oh, yes. He is a great guy, really, really interesting guy. I'd like to quiz him about his travels, about his experiences, etc. So if I'm allowed a sec- second choice, probably Simon Reeve. I'll think about it. I'll let you know. <laughs> Thank you. You're very generous, Martin. <laughs> Question two. Who is your favourite biblical character or favourite biblical story or favourite parable, please? 
Now that is quite a tough one, actually. I think possibly Samson from Judges. You know, I just I just find the whole Judges era quite fascinating, actually, because it seems to me that it's full of flawed heroes. Yeah. Which I personally like. You know, I I do have problems actually with celebrity Christianity. You know, and it strikes me when you read through Judges that these kind of Judges stroke stroke leaders are incredibly fallible people who God the Holy Spirit tends to use in a quite remarkable way. So to my mind, I just find Samson utterly fascinating. You know, obviously faced with a vast Midianite army and yeah. he's fearful, hiding hiding away really. But yet at the end of the day, he blows the trumpet. The Spirit of God comes on him. He blows the trumpet, calls Israel. And then, of course, the whole armies are, are graded down numerically. It's just an astonishing story. So I would like to say that probably Samson is something of a hero of mine, really. Yeah, very good answer. Thank you. Question three. If you were prime minister for the day and could change any law or impose a new law, what would it be? My word. Now, that is a tricky question. That's an, that's an excellent question. I think I'd, I'd probably have to answer in a slightly oblique way. Oh, we like oblique. <laughs> Absolutely. I just think that politically at the minute, we suffer from a lack of proper social justice, uh-huh. frankly. So I would want to implement legislation that fosters a greater sense of social justice. I'd actually like to see levelling up work properly too. So I think in, in broad terms... Anything that fosters a rightful sense without being trendy, mm-hmm. you know, without being unnecessarily woke, so-called, I would like to foster a strong sense of proper social justice. And I don't think we do too well still in this particular country. So, Any particular part of social justice you'd like to have a go at in your days? Yeah, BPM? yeah. I think actually legislation uh, about landlords, tenants, you know, is mm-hmm. very current. I mean, I've been I've been really stirred by the ITV's correspondent. I think the guy's Daniel Hewitt, who's produced amazing, amazing pieces on housing and homelessness and uh, and so on. So I've been I've been greatly, greatly moved. So I'm not a kind of trendy Christian who, who says let's jump on the kind of social justice bandwagon because. Personally, I've read the book Amos, for example, you know, let justice flow down like rivers. Interestingly, you know, Mm. in the light of us both being kind of music-y geeks, really, (laughs) as you well know, in Amos there, uh, the prophet actually says, away with your songs, you know, because we want justice flowing down like rivers. So the Lord actually says through Amos, you know, stop singing, basically, which is quite interesting. And then he says, you know, let justice flow down like rivers. So for me, social justice is pretty important broadly, but also specifically that area of homelessness, tenancies, etc. That's very good. I'll let you do that. Thank you very much. Outside of family events, question four. Andrew, what has been your most enjoyable day out, please? I think one of my most enjoyable days days out, if I think musically, talking to a prog rocker Mm. here. So do bear that in mind. Mm -hmm. And you might be surprised to hear, Rosie and I went to see Rod Stewart at Hove Cricket Ground not so many years ago. Okay. And I tell you, it was the most splendid evening. It was a glorious, sunny evening, absolutely fantastic, summery, sunny evening. 
you actually sat there in the Hove cricket ground and there were people in the, in the flats watching, watching for free. It was just remarkable, really. I just thought personally, not that I'm the greatest Rod Stewart fan. I was there with my lovely wife, Rosie. I was watching this incredible performer. And boy, oh boy, his backing singers were phenomenal. A phenomenal performer. Mm. I think in, in recent years, probably musically, that was a brilliant, brilliant day. See, Ross Stewart, I still remember him from his Faces days. Stay with me. Ugh. Ichiku Park. Well, he wasn't in that. Oh, was he not? That was the Small Faces. Oh, sorry. That, that was Steve Marriott. That was the Small Faces, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but they then sort of went elsewhere and the band stayed together and they joined forces with Ross Stewart to become the Faces. In a minute, I'll be I'll be doing an imitation of Andy Fairweather Lowe. Oh, the, yes. The only man to sing with his mouth closed. <laughs> We'll say amen corner to that. Yeah, amen. <laughs> Thank you. Now that was cracking. Thank you. People are going, what on earth is he on about? Don't worry. That was his previous band, Andy Fairweather, though. <laughs> Question five. What has been your most embarrassing moment to date, please? Oh, my word. There are so many to choose from. In the very recent past, uh, having just launched this book, When Jesus Met Hippies, there I was sitting at church on Sunday afternoon, sort of lunchtime, I was just thinking out loud and I was trying to remember people's names. Mm. Now, being a lifelong pastor since 85, you know, I've got a reasonably good memory pastorally. I was just sitting there selling books and I noticed somebody around the place, you know, kind of, well, it's a very, very modest queue. And I thought I've had another mental blank, you know, just because of sheer weariness, etc. So I thought, Lord, help me to, <laughs> to realise... What is this person's name? I mean, this is a close, this is a close friend, yeah. for goodness sakes. So that was slightly embarrassing, but I was saved from it simply because this particular person went away for some unknown reason. So I was spared having to remember. And then, of course, what happens afterwards is you think, I know who that is. That is X. Yes. So that was pretty embarrassing. And that is within two days of us chatting here. Previous podcast guest had something similar, but at a funeral. And he turned around to the lady and said, who are you? Pleased to meet you. And she turned back and said, well, I'm your wife. Oh, no. Oh, yes. Actually, interestingly, I actually conduct uh, funerals. The last but one I, I did, I was heckled by the wife of the man who who sadly died. I was heckled during the funeral service. Why? Because she perceived that the tribute I was reading out on behalf of the family was not actually correct. It was not the revised version that her son had supposed to send to me by email. And so she heckled me about the factual nature of what I was beginning to say. I have not been heckled before. So I've had some funny, funny moments. Yeah. But that was a little bit interesting. So what happened then? Well, I just gently said in a very careful way. So I just said to, to the wife, bless her, I just said, well, why don't you take this opportunity to correct the facts then, please? You know, in a very courteous way. I mean, I was quite yeah. taken aback, really. And she said, well, I just did. So I said, OK, let's move on. Ever the consummate professional, Martin. <laughs> yes, well, that's very good. When my dad died and I, I was at the funeral uh, with my wife and I yeah. sat next to my auntie. Yeah. And, um, yeah, as families can happen, you can have loads of splits and everything else. And yeah. I'm one of those kind of people there. Anyway, the tribute was read by the vicar. Yeah. I was looking at my auntie thinking, well, I don't know about that. And she was looking at me. 
And at the very end, as we all stood up to leave, she said in a very loud voice, well, I don't know whose funeral that was, but it wasn't my brother's. Oh, no, you're kidding. Oh, my goodness. We laughed. Well, I laughed anyway. I thought it was brilliant. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Great. Thank you very much indeed for that. Thank you. So much to talk about. I yeah. could talk to you for hours about prog, yes. but people will be switching off in their droves, Absolutely. so we might have to leave that. I do eventually want to get around to your book. Yeah. But you've already mentioned being a pastor for so many years. Why did you want to become a pastor in the first place, please, Andrew? So seriously, I didn't want to become a pastor. I was actually saved by Jesus in August 1973, which is a whole nother story, at the Rainbow Theatre in Finsbury Park. Oh. Very iconic venue, yeah. as you want to. So I was saved then, uh, went to Bible College in 81 to 84 in London, and actually, the course I was particularly on was a kind of missionary training course. We were actually bound to explore church planting in a Muslim Islamic culture, actually. So we trekked out to Pakistan in 1982. And we used to have this running joke. This is absolutely true. We had a running joke at Bible College um, to say, what if God calls us to this mythical Baptist church in the country and we actually named it Upper Pigglesbury Baptist Church. Nothing of that sort is real, you know, but we used to have this running joke. Yeah, yeah. And then at the end of the time, I graduated in, in summer 84, uh, and God called us to a little Baptist church in a place called Godmanchester, Cambridgeshire, near Huntingdon, in March 85. To my utter surprise, I mean, honestly, it was a genuine surprise, because having my kind of moderately hippie background, you know, I just thought that being a pastor was totally naff. You know, I just thought this is incredibly naff. To be a pastor is to become a traditionalist, to become religious, etc. I didn't want anything of it. But God actually said to me, Andrew, here I am again. That's where you're heading. So I kind of I kind of said I'd learned by that time to begin to obey God's voice. You know, so the calling of God was clearly there. So I became a pastor. Sometimes when I'm asked, Martin, I tend to say I'm a kind of evangelist in, in pastor's clothing. That is probably much more the kind of gift. Officially, I have been turned pastor since 85 onwards. Still am, uh, really. But I'm probably an evangelist in pastor's clothing. Yeah. But no, I didn't want to want to become a pastor. Do I regret it? Definitely not because I had amazing opportunities, amazing ones, to share Jesus, disciple people, etc. Yeah, yeah. What do you remember of your time in Pakistan? I mean, particularly remember the whole thing of, of women, uh, you know, because my wife Rosie is a fantastic person. She smiles a lot. I can remember getting out of a train, going to meet these missionaries somewhere in mid-Pakistan there, and Rosie was doing her usual thing. She was she was covered properly, you know, as per Islamic cultures, but she was still smiling. And the missionary came straight up to us and very quickly whispered in Rosie's ear, please stop that straight away. Obviously, Pakistanis have this uh, misapprehension through Western TV, etc., you know, of immoral women, particularly if they're smiling, even worse, you know. So he told her to absolutely stop straight away the many culture shocks were absolutely amazing positively though it was just incredible to see what god was doing 
particularly amongst minority sort of Hindu Hindu based communities. So these particular missionaries were working amongst these very agrarian types and uh, just seeing God do amazing things. I mean, you know, just little Jesus communities, very, very informal. The service starts when you turn up. Yeah. It's hardly 11 o'clock and 6.30, for goodness sake. It's whenever somebody turns up to lead. Yeah. But it's a remarkable time. But God was not calling us to Muslim evangelism, I don't think. But then you, you just nailed it there by saying it was culturally different. It doesn't mean it's wrong. That's no, sure. Abs- absolutely. That's the thing, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, I still admire greatly people who've given their lives to actually just incarnate themselves within that that particular culture actually i still know the couple who we actually interacted with stayed with there they're quite legendary roger and diana pomeroy big shout out for some you know fairly sort of slightly old-fashioned missionary tights but nonetheless they loved people they incarnated themselves got to know the culture got to know the language properly they're thorough long long termers and I honour them thoroughly. Thank you. Bit of a culture shock then to come all the way back from Pakistan. Massive. To wherever it was in Cambridgeshire. Obviously, including too materially, it's one thing to read it. It's one thing to watch it on TV. But when you go to that kind of culture and actually live amongst poor people for even just just the month that we did, you can't fail to be moved, to be moved long term. I experienced that there. Also, Romania. Mm-hmm. I was in Romania ministering the year after the revolution. I was there. Were you, were you really? Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. 1990. Why did we not meet for a coffee then, Martin, hey? Because the coffee shops had been closed down, for goodness sake. <laughs> well, it depends what month. I was there also. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm taking your thunder here. I was also there in 1977 as well yeah. with the school trip. But yeah, oh yeah. Incredible, I incredible. I, mean, I could bore you stiff. Carry on. The core point there, you know, materially absolutely poverty stricken mm. in um pakistan yeah i would like to major still if that's okay on being a pastor yeah sure of course your quote i think it's quite remarkable really my passion is to yeah. pass on the benefit of 45 years of christian leadership to the next generation in an appropriate way and what sticks out for me on that is the passion bit but also the appropriate yeah. way bit so tell us more please yeah that is a very interesting thing to pick up. So my working philosophy, we have two sons. Phil is 40, Tom is 37. So I'm continually looking down the line to my son's generation and further down to 20s. That is my abiding passion right now. And actually, in terms of prophecy, God did bring us a powerful word some seven, eight years ago, which is embarrassingly public. And um, what God was saying, the gist of what God seemed to be saying to us was, I'm going to help you to train younger pilots to fly through turbulent conditions. Now, never a truer word said. So, you know, a lot of our time these days is, is spent shepherding, helping, encouraging younger leaders fly through sometimes some very, very turbulent conditions. So what do I mean by appropriate ways? What I think I don't mean is patronizing. Mm -hmm. You know, I do not want to patronize the younger generation and say, we've been through it all, you know, you know, we've been through the wars and we've seen action, blah, 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 in a kind of boring monotone tone of voice. 
I don't believe in patronizing people. I believe in honoring, uplifting, empowering the next generation. And the more I go on in life genuinely, Martin, the more I think and feel, <laughs> I don't mind if they smash my glass ceiling at all. As long as they stay biblical, focused on Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, I couldn't care a dicky bird. Let them go further than me, please, Lord. I would be delighted, I think, most of the time, if I'm honest. So, for example, we currently coach a couple within our church, Josh and Megan, bless them, who have become delightful friends. They're noble in 23, 24. He's a trainee pastor for two years within our church. Just so happens that Megan, his, his lovely, amazing wife, is the son of our kind of lead, lead pastor. So, for example, we coach them. When I use the word coach, it's not a kind of professional thing necessarily. We are profoundly relational. You know, anything we do is profoundly relational. In that sense, organic. I don't mean by that incidentally disorganized, mm. but I just mean organic, relational. So we hang out with them, we meet with them, pray with them, laugh with them, sometimes cry, eat with them, etc. You know, so that is my heart. And if you ask what's a kind of appropriate way, then I think that's it. So it's basically life impartation, I think. But also, I would say genuinely again here, we honestly receive as much back from them as we give. That's part of the non-patronizing yeah. agenda, I think. It's a kind of meeting. It. It's a relationship between not exactly equals, because that would be foolish. But nonetheless, there's a sense of parity, parity there. So does that answer your question a little bit? Yeah. The trouble is, can I be controversial here? Yeah, sure. Please do. Okay. Absolutely. So this is a question that's going to be for learning not to be deliberately controversial, if you know what I mean. No, sure. Go for it. One of the things that I have seen in my walk yeah. are the people who get the jobs purely because of who their parents were. So if you were a pastor and all of yeah. a sudden – whoa, young Jimbo, he's now a pastor. Yes, and it's yes. like, yeah, but young Jimbo, you've got 25 years under your belt on living on planet Earth. Yeah, You've been yeah. brought up by big Jimbo for 25 years. Therefore, you've been indoctrinated. Whether you like it or not, you've been indoctrinated. And so how can you, in love, know that this senior pastor with the daughter who's married to yeah. Josh, yeah. Yeah. she's going to have baggage that you need to unpack. So how do you do it? I can answer that incredibly adequately, I think, through personal experience here. Please share away. Yeah. So over 43 years of happy marriage experience with our sons, Phil and Tom, we have never, ever, ever sought to pressurize them into church-based ministry, mm -hmm. ever. Mm -hmm. In actual fact, I would dare to say that we've also discouraged them. A little. Okay. Because we wanted them to be entirely their own people in God. Yeah. Just be whoever you are in God, you be it. Occupationally, personality-wise, etc. You be exactly who God created you to be. And we're really totally passionate about that. So, for example, I'm going to address the comment, which I think is very, very appropriate. Very, very apt. So Phil in Manchester, Salford. Um, sells custom-made executive training programs for an enormous American company. Mm -hmm. He's a Christian man. He loves Jesus greatly, and he pursues his kingdom mentality through the business world. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Hallelujah. 
Our youngest son, Tom, has been working for a financial company that you see on tele. Uh, so he actually moved on from that reasonably recently. He now straddles two careers. One, he works for the National Pensions Advice Service online, three-day week. Two, he took the initiative to pursue a calling from God to be a trainee pastor. He's now a trainee pastor in Yeovil. Do I apologize for him being a trainee pastor because of just what you commented earlier? Yeah. No, certainly not. Did I make that decision for him? Definitely did not make that decision for Tom. He's far too strong-minded and far too mature and sensible. But he felt a call from God to actually become, for the moment, a trainee pastor. Is Tom better than Phil? Not at all, because probably they're going to listen anyway. (laughs) (laughs) I think that probably begins to answer the question from my personal perspective. And it does remind me, too, that I think it was the famous C.H. Spurgeon, the incredibly famous Baptist pastor, who said something along the lines of, don't become a pastor if you can avoid it. And I think despite my own pretty positive experience generally over the years since 1985, I don't too readily and quickly say to people, I think you should be a pastor. I think the calling needs to be tested very, very carefully. I think a good amount of kind of secular, quote unquote, work experience is sometimes incredibly helpful too. Yeah, and actually, I think also that emotional emotional intelligence, relational skills is actually crucial, in addition to a good sort of biblical, wholesome spirituality, which is a roundabout way of saying, I don't always encourage everybody by any means at all to go into full-time ministry. Yeah, I honour people who do it. I'm glad I've done it in the main, but, uh, you know, each to their own calling. I have a big, big kingdom mentality that we can pursue God's kingdom first, whatever the sphere that God places us in. So Phil is doing that in Salford. Tom is doing that in Yeovil. Equally, they're doing very, very different, varied things. But something you yes. said there that resonated with me, which is good. Yeah, sure. Is that it needs to be tested, really, to see whether you heard God as well. Absolutely. I'm from a kind of card-carrying, charismatic background since 1990, thereabouts. And actually, I teach prophecy courses. I teach churches, Christians to engage with New Testament prophecy. I mean, that kind of prophecy rather than kind of prophecies about Israel end times. And I believe me, I'm really, really strong on the whole concept of weighing, testing prophecy. Really, really strong because... My perception is sometimes we, sometimes believers in general terms are far too gullible, naive and stupid. They need to get their heads first and foremost into their Bibles to soak and marinate their brains and their hearts in Scripture, I think personally. And secondly, they need sane people around them to ask them the tough questions to say, so why do you believe God is calling you to that? Why do you believe God is saying that? What evidence do you have? Without being sceptical, yeah. I don't want to go down the kind of cynical route necessarily, but my perception is some, and actually, sadly, some of the much more charismatic persuasion are less cautious and less guarded. And I want to say to them sometimes, I want to holler to them, prophecy is great. You know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, verse, verse 1, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Great. Amen. Agree with it. But nonetheless, he also says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 
don't despise prophesying, but test everything. So for my money, little, little teaching point maybe on New Testament prophecy there. Yeah. So to sum it all up then, <laughs> when you say you're doing prophetic teaching, yes. what do you mean by that? Okay. What I try to do is from Scripture, I try to teach people what the Bible actually says about the gift of prophecy. I try to teach them how to hear from God, primarily through Scripture, also through the Holy Spirit's agency. I mean, personally, sometimes God, most of the time, for me, God will speak through a, a kind of apt Scripture. Yeah. Sometimes he will speak through a sentence, a picture, sometimes. So I try to teach people what prophecy actually is biblically, how to hear from God, how to communicate well, how to weigh in and test prophecy, and how to engage in prophecy on the kind of corporate community church level. I'm not pretending, by the way, to be the world's greatest expert, because I certainly am not. I've learned loads from others, but that's what I do. And interestingly, by the way, just for the record, I tend to have a, a ready audience in the much more conservative churches, the much less charismatic-y type churches, which is very interesting, actually. Mm. It's a very interesting experience because, simply put, they need a lot more convincing biblically. Yes. You know, because I've got a reasonable brain, I think, probably, you know, they do respond to sort of logical teaching, explanation, answering questions. So... It's a very interesting place to actually be. It is, it is. Very fascinating. A big sh shout out to two sons as well. Yeah. The reason being, before coming into my Christian ministry of, yeah. of radio, I was a sales training officer, training people. Interesting. How to sell properly, how you know to interview properly, all that sort of stuff. So Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. I could just smell the training manual in my hand, reading it through and then turning it into how I can do it in a, on a training course. And, of course, your other son down yeah. in Yeovil, Big yeah. shout out to him because they were one of the rivals for the company I worked for. So, yeah. Amazing. Incredible. And I think it's important. People think, oh, well, I've got to go and serve the Lord. Actually, why can't you serve the Lord in the business that you're in already? Absolutely, mate. Absolutely. During a very interesting unemployed phase, I actually became a, a minicab driver. Really? Oh, boy, was that a very interesting temporary career. I'm glad it was only temporary. I had a, had a manic controller. So... You know, the guy on the other end of the radio was a cockney guy. He was brutal. God bless you. If you're listening from Norwich, <laughs> God bless you heaps. You know, he'd, he'd tell me, hurry up, get there quick. Boom, boom, boom. Very, very intense few months. That was incredible, incredible. Anyway. Wow. What years are we talking about? For You've been a taxi driver? That was late 70s. Actually, let me just tell you a very, very quick amusing tale. Mm. So there were 12 drivers. I was one of them in the city of Norwich, and I was employed by them. You used to actually have to be at the city base at 6 a.m. And uh, they had been putting me through my paces in terms of police record, you know, because obviously you have to get a police record checked. Now, you need to know all the other 11 had police records. So Muggins walks in one morning uh, reporting for work, and as soon as I walk in, Dave and the rest of the drivers, so they burst into laughter, uncontrollable laughter at me. And so I, I can say, guys, what on earth is happening here? You know, I have no idea what you're laughing about. So Dave pipes up and says, almost quoting word for word here, he says, uh, we've just had your police uh, report back. 
and you're clean. Ha ha ha. And they just burst into raucous laughter. The fact that I've got a clean police record was hilarious to them. Wow. Well, I've got a police record. Have you really? Yes, their greatest hits, which links in very nicely <laughs> to the fact that you love music. And... I do indeed. I do. <laughs> of course, the Jesus movement. Yes. I know a little bit about the American Jay Pooza movement. Yeah. But yeah. I was fascinated to hear about your book, yeah. When Jesus Met Hippies, The Story and Legacy of the Jesus People Movement in the UK. Yeah. I know nothing about it, and I know you've done loads of broadcasts already. So sure. go for it, please. Tell me more. So basically, we are talking 1960s. Mm-hmm. So we're talking counterculture. We're talking Summer of Love 1967. We're talking about Vietnam. We're talking about all sorts of cultural moments, cultural upheaval in the 60s America basically. Significantly, in 1967 through to about 1974, there were kind of seven years of what I would only describe personally, my own personal conviction is they were years of revival. Now, I will return to that. So simply put, there were masses, literally masses of hippie types coming to know Jesus for the very first time in America. It wasn't just California, incidentally. It was it was widespread. And actually, part of the genius of those days was there were things popping up all over the place, you know, unconnected humanly. So it was not a kind of humanly engineered thing. So starting in around about 1967, and then the press media of the day, I mean, obviously, way, way before social media, blah, 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 internet, etc., They got hold of this. So in 21st of June, 1971, Time magazine had on its front cover, the Jesus people. So it it went ballistic publicity wise. So 1967 through to 74, then it began to drift off and tail off, et cetera. People morphed into existing churches, new churches, et cetera. So it's a classic movement amongst a kind of outsider culture, i.e. the kind of countercultural hippie, populace producing amazing things i mean the new converts were actually discipled within houses so they actually formed these amazing houses the house of miracles the house of judah i mean there were masses of these particular temporary houses yeah to disciple people largely from dysfunctional families so they really needed strong support you couldn't just say rock up for a bible study once once a week that wouldn't wash so these guys were thoroughly, thoroughly discipled in a most amazing way, kind of incarnational discipling. To my mind, it was a total move of God, a genuine revival, and many scholars would actually accept that. And starting, first of all, in the States, uh, then it spread to Europe, particularly the UK here. And that's why I wrote my book, because there's nothing like it, seriously. I don't want to plug my own book or bang my own drum necessarily, but there is nothing comparable at all to this particular book, simply because there have been books written about the States, also books written about Australasia, um, nothing whatsoever written about Europe and particularly UK. And it came to the UK and, and meshed in actually interestingly with the kind of beginnings of house church movements. So, you know, youth um, stuff was going on powerfully in the UK at much the same time. So the two mesh together. Um, So that's basically a kind of quick pen portrait of what is the Jesus people movement. I could say hours more, but that's... Yeah, yeah, that's really good. 
this goes back to basics on this first of all yeah the word hippie where does that come from from my reading reading scouty i mean i think obviously some of the some of the connotations are long hair yeah. drugs etc but i think that's a little bit peripheral uh, basically so they were genuinely counterculture people you know they they saw things in their parents post-war generation as their parents were beginning to have kids etc they actually saw their parents generation as being incredibly fuddy-duddy conservative so rebelling against authority was pretty pretty strong and actually i think there was a search within hippiedom i think part of the nature of hippiedom was to look for something better something bigger as something much more meaningful there's a kind of also a kind of anti-materialist movement really they didn't despise material stuff but you know it's pretty much a kind of simple living live in community etc so actually compared to the sort of stereotypical manifestations there were some deeper deeper currents within hippie thinking living and i think it was a classically searching generation i've not known quite a searching generation since actually yeah to be brutally honest it was a very volatile time a very searching time but also interestingly for our particular discussion here <laughs> people soon got quickly disillusioned so there were there was that infamous uh, was it uh, altamont festival altamont yeah rolling stones yeah 69 i think it was Hells angels murdering yeah 14 year old gentleman died summer of love went went sour martin he did. it was all euphemistically these are the heavenly ideals you know this this is reality we're searching for love and peace and make love not war all that kind of stuff was being said quickly led to strong disillusionment and then in roars the holy spirit to my mind and says there is a better way and his name's jesus why don't you be introduced to him so you know in that powerful cultural moment with all that trauma charles manson murders vietnam dragging on secrecy within political leadership riots on campus etc 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 you know right into that thing which i think has to have a powerful lesson that i try to highlight in my book there right into that cultural moment the holy spirit roars in to my mind and actually points people to the living god in the person of jesus into the classic mainstream historic gospel but packaged in a pretty different manner yeah that is the truth yes you know just like paul says to the jews i became a jew 1 corinthians 9 to the gentiles i became a gentile this was very much to the gentiles i became a, a gentile that explains by the way why a conservative baptist pastor called arthur blessed begins from that point onwards from 1960 i think around about 67 ish he begins to grow his hair long begins to wear beads flares etc and he begins for the first time actually in griffin park to actually speak kind of hip language in communicating the gospel where's griffin park so griffin park is is los angeles yeah so he stands up for the first time there he talks about being turned on to jesus for the very first time i think it's 67 there in griffin park it's the first time he begins to use hip language so behind his famous book turned on to jesus you know is that particular event with he and a kind of modest team there really i saw him in bristol 
going through Broadmead shopping centre, carrying the cross. Most stimulating, stirring, stirring bloke, actually. And actually had a powerful impact, particularly in the UK. So yeah. I devote an entire chapter to Arthur, Arthur Blessed, really. Is he still alive? He is 82 or 83. Wow. I think he's going through some kind of illness currently. So yes, but he is elderly, sick, etc. So, but to- a total legend. Well, yeah. And he was interesting too, Martin, because lots of people said to him, oh, you're the leader of the Jesus people, aren't you? And he would consistently say, no, I'm not. It's Jesus. And he did the classic one way finger to heaven thing that probably Larry Norman introduced initially. But he would do the classic thing. Jesus is the leader of the Jesus people. Thank you very much. Has been for the last 19 centuries and he still will be which I think is a very, very good historical comment, by the way. There's a name from the past, Larry Norman. For those that don't know anything about Christian music in particular, just check out Larry Norman. You might not like his kind of music, but wow, the influence he has had. Absolutely. And just an incredibly important health warning as well. You will listen to some lyrics you won't listen to on worship albums. Yes. We are thinking here, gonorrhea on Valentine's Day. You're always looking for the perfect lay quoting word for word from why don't you look into jesus so yeah if you're looking for a nice quiet cozy listen as a christian i'd suggest that you don't go immediately to larry but nonetheless you'll be thoroughly provoked with this kind of connection with contemporary culture of the day and his clear focus on the person of jesus as well he wasn't a flawless individual by the way clearly not but hey no they had to have a fundraiser didn't they so he did for his health levels, yeah, yeah. Wow, but he certainly flew the flag, and there's no two ways about it. He did, he did, yeah. That was going to be in your book as well, and yeah. I don't want you to tell too much about the book because obviously people aren't going to go and buy it because <laughs> they've heard it all. But the book is about how you can get to know Jesus People Movement in the UK, yeah. how it happened, what happened, and yeah, so yeah, forth. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to throw a little stone into the water, see what Please comes do. back. Okay. I like lots of stones, mate. Well, here we go then. Japusa, Jesus People USA. Yes. I first heard all about from a gentleman called Chris Cole, who I know is in your book because I've flicked through the index. (laughs) Absolutely. Better read about Chris because obviously he was the CEO of Crossroads when I worked there. Exactly. So it's nice to see him get a name check. Great guy. And I would ask people to pray for him as well because he's really going through it health-wise. Oh, is it? You're right, yeah. Yeah, so uh, please pray for Chris because he's yeah. flown the flag so many times for, Great guy. for the youth and for teenagers and everybody in, in media and stuff like that. And hello, Chris, if you're listening, and Kerry. Yeah. But they told me, well, Chris told me anyway, about the fundamental beginnings of Jay Puser and, of course, Glenn Kaiser over in, in America. Yeah. And then this quote came along, which I thought, wow, is really good. And that this was probably the single biggest time in modern-day history where the church blew it. Mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you had all these people who might be considered down and outs by the conservative top ranks and everything else yep. searching for Jesus, and the yep. majority of churches blew it. And what he meant by that, yep. or the statement that Chris was telling me about, was that the church shunned them. They didn't want anything to do with them. There were a couple of people, like Arthur Blessett, who would go, wait a minute, mm. I can identify with them, I can go to them. Yep. So there you go. There's my stone of water. Share all. What do you think? That is an an excellent stone. And it actually takes us to the very heart of lessons. If you're talking legacy, 
Incidentally, I would thoroughly recommend it. It's not a perfect film, but the film Jesus Revolution by Greg Laurie has actually been out since, I don't know, June here. I think it's on Netflix in the States, maybe here on Netflix. I'm not, I'm not totally sure. Anyway, I saw the film Jesus Revolution. So Jesus Revolution charts the whole story of Chuck Smith and Calvary Chapel and Lonnie Frisbee very interesting character mm -hmm. who feature of course in the book there so i'm not about to blow any cover whatsoever but nonetheless to answer the question there so the whole message of jesus revolution film is pretty similar to my core message here and it is quite simply we need to learn culturally how to welcome people in with the gospel to church life to church community life in a meaningful fashion that doesn't deny their cultural background that okay challenges it sometimes of course because all of our culture is challenged in terms of following following jesus i think that's absolutely the core lesson come come legacy how do we actually include people who are classic outsiders mm -hmm. and if you watch the film without giving too much away it actually shows you how amazingly well Chuck Smith and Calvary Chapel did. I mean, very, very quickly here, when these hippies began to come into Calvary Chapel as new Christians, as seekers, it caused ructions within mm. Smith's Calvary Chapel. And so one well-meaning leader came secretly before a Sunday morning meeting and put a sign on the door because they just got this new building. They put a plush, new, wonderful carpet in this brand new carpet in this lovely, lovely building. And this particular person, this, this leader, I think it was leader, came one Sunday morning early on before the service and put this big sign up on the front door saying, no bare feet allowed. Now that I would suggest to you, Martin, was a moment in God. How do you handle that? The way Chuck Smith did, because God had changed his heart internally, he was hostile to hippies. He thought there were a lot of unwashed ragamuffins. Yeah. He really had no sympathy whatsoever. They needed a decent haircut and they needed to get proper jobs. His heart had been thoroughly changed, his and, and Kay's heart. He called a meeting. He ripped the thing down on arrival at Calvary Chapel, ripped it down, called together a board meeting later that day, and he said, James too says about favoritism, you know, inviting rich men to a, a nice seat, neglecting poor outsider people. He said, this is not right. This is not the way we are going as a church. We're going to be a welcoming, inclusive church based on the gospel, not based on inclusivity alone, based on the gospel. We will take on all takers. And it just so happens at this moment in time, it is hippies coming in. So you embrace them. And there's a very moving scene where this traditional sort of suit and tie old boy gets up and he hugs a hippie. And it's one of the most emotionally moving things I've seen for a long, long time. You know, some people might say it's a little bit cheesy, maybe, maybe so. But the core message there is welcome people where the Holy Spirit's at work with people outside the perimeter of church life and the Holy Spirit's working in them, pointing them to Jesus, you fling wide your doors, welcome home. Yet we blew it. A lot of churches blew it. Absolutely. And to be brutally honest, you know, uh, I don't want to be, be unkind here at all, but when I was first saved in autumn, August 73, I went to my 
brother and sister's church. And I began to get stuck into it. I won't name the denomination because I don't want to be dishonoring. It was sort of kind of conservative, but a little bit open. Yeah. But I was like a jolly fish out of water. I mean, I was a total fish out of water. They were not speaking my language. I couldn't understand what on earth was going on. How they did church was strange. I was just like a fish out of water. And then, thank the Lord, I mean, I did stay there for for a bit. (laughs) Uh, And then went back to university in Leeds for my third year as a brand new Christian. Thank God I was picked up by some Campus Crusade for Christ workers, now called Agape UK. Nigel and Helen Spencer, bless them, who are still around living in Germany now. They picked me up, discipled me thoroughly. I began to work with Campus Crusade for the next seven years as a kind of evangelist, discipler of university students. So that I found a lot more culturally helpful. I'm not saying I neglected church because I did attend, stuck into Mm. much more established churches too, tandem, you know, so Campus Crusade Church, etc. I did both really. But culturally, I think, yes, you are totally right. Which poses the question to me, just to throw a question back to Martin here, who are the hippies of today? Well, that's a great question. I just leave the question in the air there. Well, you're not bit. going to because I'm going to throw yeah. it back to you. Sure. So who are the hippies of today then? I have mother over long and hard. I don't want to get into controversial terrain too much here, but I think I'm finding a few people are saying to me, that they think the whole gender, sexuality, transgender issue is probably a live one on that particular score. Mm-hmm. I just throw that out there, you know, because personally, I have no easy answers about that issue, Martin. I know perfectly well what I stand personally, what I would tend to teach and train others in. But I also know, you know, that deep sense of inclusivity as well. So I'm trying to work out my own sort of core convictions, position, stance, etc. Yeah. Well, I tell you, that's a, a very good question that you asked. Who are the hippies of today? And you live in Bournemouth. And I was only yeah. listening to a certain radio show on Radio 4 yeah. called, I'm sorry, I haven't a clue. And they took the mickey out yeah. of Bournemouth because it was coming from Bournemouth, you know, where they give the impression that it's full of old people. So that could be your hippie movement. Thank you. Thank you. Because you have just said what I was just about poised to say. I don't think this is me speaking as a 70-year-old guy. I mean, I don't deny that is my age, which it is. But nonetheless, even my pastor recently said, said to me, Andrew, do you think that the next revival, if there is one, please God, will be maybe amongst over 60s? And my heart leapt. Yeah. Now, please hear me carefully here. I'm not, again, in any sense whatsoever, people targeting youth and children. There are plenty of resources still, some resources at least, yes, if not maybe a lot, poured into youth and children's ministry. I endorse it totally. I have no desire to bang the drum against that kind of thing. It is brilliant, absolutely brilliant. But I think one of the neglected generations today is the elderly. And, you know, obviously as a 70-year-old ex-hippie Jesus follower type over 50 years now, you know, obviously I'm expected to have a heart for my particular generation. And I do. So, so for example, my wife, Rosie, gave one of my books just the other day 
to one of her Pilates me members, who's a, a kind of retired teacher, retired science teacher. As far as we know, she's not a Christian person, had a, a bit of a kind of religious past way, way back, yeah, yeah. parted from it. She gave a copy of, of my book because simply put, we want to reach our generation as well. Anybody can come, but uh, absolutely, I totally agree, Martin. So over 60s, let's see some things happening there, please. To sum it all up, the podcast I recorded only last night with a gentleman who lives in Scotland. Yes. The story he was talking about was about the Havilah that they had in church as a, as a way of being able to outreach in uh, our growth in Scotland. Yeah. And it's a phenomenal story how they had the seed of an idea. He let them work on it, facilitated it through, uh, so much so that 14 years later, they were able to get the Queen's Award for voluntary services. But for the first couple of years, nothing happened. They'd opened the church faithfully. No one turned up. Amazing. It's an amazing podcast. I ask everyone to, to listen to it. Brilliant. But the punchline is right at the very end, we're not coming to you any minute now to say, yeah. who is your Christian hero? Yeah. <clears throat> he named a little old lady. Yes. And it turned out that way back in the, the late 1990s, this little old lady in her 60s came into the church just as a new Christian. Yeah. And she came up with this idea. Yes. And this little old lady who was sitting in a corner, it was her idea, and she was the one that pushed it through. To see the youth of today yeah. who are on drugs for whatever reason. Yes. Getting a way out. Absolutely. Yeah. Brilliant. So good. The episode, his name is Martin Fair, F-A-I-R. There were so many more things we could talk about very briefly, just to encourage those that are going through similar things. Yeah. In the remaining two minutes before we find out who your Christian hero is, yeah. you've been through your own cancer battle. You've yep. had non-Hodgkin's disease and lymphoma. Yep. How are you doing and how did it help or hinder your faith? Thank you. Good. Yep. We all human beings go through stuff, including Christians, don't we? So... Yep, had non-Hodgkin's from 2016 with a pretty nasty infection aftermath for the following three years. I now have a clean bill of health since last summer. So my consultant said to me over the phone last July, I think it was, all your tests are 100% perfect. I said, yippee. <laughs> and so I am so grateful. I've never felt more healthy, actually, seriously. But nonetheless, it leaves you with a slight legacy that you've experienced something quite potent. Yeah. I can honestly say without being trite here, God, my God carried me throughout the whole thing. I don't mean that I was not responsible, but nonetheless, I do know that God carried me. In fact, one of the images that most has incredible staying power is simply that of living under the shadow of his wings. Yes. You know, that whole picture came to the fore a lot during chemo infections etc i think also it's produced a kind of entry point in terms of actually relating to normal ordinary people everyday life you know many of whom have experiences with cancer and i found just in a low-key evangelistic sense just relating to people being pastorally caring etc it's been amazing. So God has brought good out of something that was tough, tough, tough. And that could have been your farmland experience to scatter seeds just by what you're going through with other people as well. Absolutely. Incidentally, before we do close, would you mind if I just said my website is actually available? So I have a dedicated website, 
and it is very very simply worldwideweb.jesuspeoplerevivaluk.com so there you can find details of the book you can see visual presentations there are essays bibliographies the whole works really so well no i'm not going to let you say that <laughs> <laughs> oh you already have of course you can well of course what i'm also going to say to link into the, the final question is that we now find out who your Christian hero is, someone that is dead and not in the Bible. So, Andrew Whitman, author of When Jesus Met Hippies, The Story and Legacy of the Jesus People Movement in the UK, which is available on Amazon. So, Andrew Whitman, who also has a website, which he can plug at the very end again. (laughs) Who is your Christian hero, please, sir? For anybody who knows Christian history, I'm going to quote the person first. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. The gentleman concerned is a man called Jim Elliot, married to his wife Elizabeth, young children, is called to the jungle of Ecuador to reach out to Orca Indians. He is massacred in the 1950s. I can't remember the precise date. He is my hero because he is a young man or was a young man who gave everything. I I just think also the quote is so poignant. I think even saying it today just sends shivers, really. It just reminds you, you know, of the words of Jesus, you know, about giving stuff up and God will make up the difference, really. I just think there's a guy totally on fire for Jesus, willing to get grafted in to actually do some hard graft, to learn people's culture, to learn their language. I mean, obviously a little bit similar in terms of cultural ministry, basically, to the kind of ministry to hippies. Mm. I mean, you're talking really Stone Age culture here. Very, very remote tribes, and that's why, obviously, they were massacred. So I think you're talking either four or five young men, including Jim, and their wives went back and carried on the legacy. I mean, it's just remarkable seeing the husband slaughtered. And then what do they do? Begin to the process of forgiveness, not an easy thing at all. And they go back to the orcas and begin to disciple them. I mean, if that's not the spirit of Jesus, I don't know what is, Martin. I really don't. So that for me, I mean, he inspired in his death, following his death, He inspired a totally new generation of missionaries. So for me, Jim Elliott, hands down. Wonderful answer. I said right at the very beginning that we often go off on a different tangent. Yeah. I bet you didn't think you were speaking the first 40 minutes of nothing to do with your book. So (laughs) (laughs) It's all absolutely fine by me. I mean, thank you so much, Martin. You're welcome. Thank you. The book is out. And uh, again, without banging one's own drum too much, I was literally seeing books fly off the shelves, really, which is most encouraging. Yes, isn't it? And that website? Yep, jesuspeoplerevivaluk.com. And you will find resources galore. They're all totally free. And you can order the book from there, Amazon, wherever. And you can also order it Kindle on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, The States, etc. It's very, very widely distributed andrew thank you so much thank you so much martin i've really appreciated it enjoyed it immensely Brilliant. thank you we'll have you back again we'll talk about rock music later on <laughs> thank you so thank much you so much. bless you yes. God bless. Bye-bye.